it's a great way to help kids burn off energy. And as someone who has six kids and several nephews and all kinds of grandkids now, I can absolutely attest to this. But it can also help them learn to control their impulses and learn patience. You know, teaching a kid that it takes time to grow something can go a long way in a society where everything is instant gratification now. Hey, I'm Karen, and together with my husband, I spent over a decade researching and learning and building our small farm through lots of trial and error, successes and failures. I went back to school to get my degree in horticulture to help our farm business, and now I want to pass all that knowledge on to you, because I firmly believe that self-reliance is empowering, and that everyone, whether you've got a five-acre plot in the country, a half-acre lot in suburbia, or a windowless room in a downtown apartment should just grow something. Hey everybody, and welcome back to the Just Grow Something podcast. This is episode seven, and I appreciate you all coming along for the ride. I think we're sort of starting to uh, get our groove here. So before we jump into the Focal Point Friday topic, uh, I want to talk to you about our Can You Dig It episodes. Those will be on the first Friday of every month. And the first part of the show will either be a review of a garden tool or we'll talk about new varieties coming out, maybe a discussion of a current event surrounding food and agriculture, or maybe just some funny tidbit that surprised me or made me laugh. And I want to share it with you. The second part of the Can You Dig It shows will be listener Q&A. And that's where you come in, you know, the listener. So whatever gardening questions you have, whether it's on a topic that we've already co covered or maybe something we haven't discussed yet, you know, we're still pretty early on into this thing and I haven't really done a, a deep dive into any of the topics yet. So you may have some questions on those. Uh, send me an email to grow at justgrowsomethingpodcast.com, or you can go to the website, justgrowsomethingpodcast.com, and uh, click on the contact page, send me the form there, or you can click the link in the show notes to send me a voice message. Uh, just let me know if it's okay to play that message uh, on air, or if you just want me to relay the question, uh, but send me all your gardening questions. And for the, uh, the Can You Dig It episodes, if I use your question, I will throw your name in the hat and choose one submission to win a free Clyde's garden planner. So uh, who is Clyde and why is his garden planner so great? <laughs> Clyde is a very experienced gardener who lives in Grove Spring, Missouri, and he developed his own slide chart in like the early 90s. He was attempting to plan the sequence of plants growing in his 6,000 square foot garden. And he was trying to plan that around the time that his wife was going to be giving birth to their third child. He didn't want the stuff to come ready and ready to be harvested while they were in the hospital and have it all go to waste. So he was trying to figure out a good way to be able to plan that. And he came up with this slide chart. And this slide chart, you can adjust according to your last frost date in spring on one side and your first frost date in fall on the other side. 
And then based on the date you choose, it shows the proper indoor and outdoor planting times for like 20 or so different garden veggies from beets and broccoli to potatoes and pumpkins. It's even got notes for like planting data like spacing and approximate yield. And it's even got a list of companions for companion planting for each one of those crops. It's a pretty cool little tool. And it actually consolidates all that info we've been talking about right into an easy to use little tool in the palm of your hand. So I'll draw from the questions that I use for each Can You Dig It episode to give away one Clyde's Garden Planner for at least the first few months. Just make sure when you send your question, I have a way to reach you via email to get your mailing address if you win. Cool? Cool. So let's dig into this week's topic the science behind why gardening is good for you. So there are physical benefits for sure of growing your own food. We've talked a little bit about the increased nutritional content, the closer you consume something to its source. Also, you and your family may eat more fruits and vegetables when you've participated in growing it and it's right out your back door or on your countertop. You know, when you put work into something, you generally want to enjoy the fruits of your labor, literally, and the convenience of it being close by makes that even easier. But what about non-nutritional benefits? Gardening isn't always growing food. There's a lot of people who don't enjoy vegetable gardening, but they grow hundreds of beautiful flowers every year. The obvious physical benefits to gardening are the ones that pertain to just getting out in the fresh air and getting a little exercise. Shoveling, raking, digging, pulling weeds, harvesting, all that takes physical activity that's good for you. Soaking up that vitamin D certainly improves your health too. This physical exercise and the benefits that come with it increase the larger your garden is for sure. And the effects may not be as profound if you're growing on a balcony or in a windowsill in that regard. But studies have shown there are other benefits that you can get from those smaller plots and maybe even from gardens that aren't even yours. Let's clarify something really quick. There's a difference between correlation and causation, right? Correlation is, well, I feel better after I've gardened, or I'm in a better mood when I've potted up a new pot of herbs for my windowsill, or I physically feel better when I've been outside and I've dug in my garden a little bit, right? This all might be true, and that's correlation. I'm correlating my improved mood to the activity I just performed. But there may not be anything proving why the act of gardening made me feel happy or made me feel better physically. Science and scientific data, especially the data from within peer-reviewed studies, talks about causation. It deciphers the reasons behind why something occurs and if there's tangible proof of what caused that reaction. That is causation. And that's not to say that correlation and causation don't both exist at the same time. It just means that the latter can be measured in some way, while the former may not be. That's why scientific studies generally use specific measuring points to compare when trying to analyze things as subjective as how someone feels. Oh, speaking of studies, anytime I do one of these shows where I refer to a study or different studies or articles, I'm going to try to remember to link that reference in the show notes. 
I'm a total science nerd and I'm all about the data and I don't want anyone thinking I'm pulling statistics or references out of thin air. So if I reference a study and I fail to link it in the notes, you guys should totally call me out for that through email or voice message and I will fix my notes. I want you to have the data to review or the articles to read if you so choose. So back to the subject at hand. In 2017, a trio of scientists conducted a meta-analysis of the research surrounding the effects of gardening on health, both physical and psychological. So what's a meta-analysis? It's basically taking a bunch of other studies, and in this instance, it was 22 other studies, and using the data from those studies to make your evaluation of a subject. And the reason that this is done is because in many cases, the sample sizes in individual studies may not be large enough to provide enough statistics to give conclusive information. So at that point, the results may still just be considered correlation. But if you pull all that data together, you effectively increase the sample size and get much more information to drive the statistics, thereby proving causation or disproving it. For example, instead of having one study where one out of 10 people felt an effect and another study where five out of 10 felt that same effect, you've now pulled that all together to get a more accurate picture of six out of 20. So the bigger the sample size, the better it represents a larger population, so it's more accurate than any of the smaller samples by themselves. Okay, sorry, the science nerd in me just took over for a minute. All, all this is to basically say there's a lot of data that one can get from a meta-analysis as a whole rather than 22 different studies individually, and it's also easier for me to link it in the show notes. So there's that. So, it was, so anyway, what did this 2017 analysis show? It showed a wide range of health outcomes, such as reductions in depression and anxiety, weight loss, increases in perceived quality of life, um, a bigger sense of community. You know, these are all positive effects on both physical and mental health from gardening. You know, we've seen a major uptick globally in lifestyle diseases, right? Things that can usually be controlled through diet and exercise, heart disease, stroke, diabetes, obesity. Many of these studies indicated that gardening specifically and contact with nature in general led to increases in vigor, psychological well-being, sense of community, cognitive function, and reductions in stress, anger, fatigue, and depression and anxiety symptoms. You know, all things that are contributing factors to these lifestyle diseases. During my undergrad studying horticulture, I took a couple of courses that introduced me to and got me interested in the value of urban green spaces. In fact, I wrote my final dissertation on that very subject. Time and time again, as I read study after study on the topic, I found evidence that green spaces in general, and this includes both vegetable and flower gardens, but also lawns or parks or any space you come in contact with nature, people benefit in terms of both physical and mental health. But there are also benefits from those spaces that extend beyond the individual who's tending to that space or the people around them that are enjoying it. Green spaces like gardens 
and other spaces like street trees or lawns or parks provide essential ecosystem services. And they have a substantial impact on the quality of life in both urban and suburban areas. Air filtration, climate regulation, noise reduction, stormwater management, and recreational and cultural services are all provided by even small fragmented green spaces. So by gardening or maintaining some sort of green space, you're not only impacting your own health, you're also impacting your family's health, your neighbor's health, and the health of the environment around you. It's pretty amazing what a little bit of nature can do for you. And its impact is even bigger in urban areas where the surroundings are all hardscapes. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Scientific research has also shown that digging in the dirt can improve the mental and physical health of children. It's a great way to help kids burn off energy. And as someone who has six kids and several nephews and all kinds of grandkids now, I can absolutely attest to this. But it can also help them learn to control their impulses and learn patience. You know, teaching a kid that it takes time to grow something can go a long way in a society where everything is instant gratification now. And digging in the dirt with all the soil microbes helps strengthen their immune system. And the opposite is also true. Not being exposed to enough microbes can result in an underdeveloped immune system in a kid, which can cause a host of problems like autoimmune diseases and allergies as they mature. Activities in the garden can help children develop a healthy microbiome to help prevent those issues. And I'll jump back to the nutrition aspect for a minute. Kids are much more likely to consume fruits and vegetables. They've had a hand in growing. I've seen that one firsthand on too many occasions to count. Gardening is also a great way to reduce screen time for kids while giving them something to do outdoors. The natural stimulation of being outside can have a calming and focusing effect on children. Parents of children with attention deficit disorder reported activities involving green spaces, including gardening, had a positive effect on their children's symptoms. Gardening is also especially beneficial for us as we age. As we get older, our joints and our range of motion become much more limited, and we're also a lot less active, which eventually leads to a loss of muscle strength and flexibility. Gardening is a great way to get regular exercise, lubricate those joints, and strengthen mobility for seniors. All that bending and squatting and pulling builds muscle strength, and being outside provides essential vitamin D, which helps the body absorb calcium which helps prevent osteoporosis. It can also improve hand-eye coordination, which can be a problem in seniors as their brain and body sort of get a little out of sync. Uh, gardening lowers cortisol levels, that stress chemical, and it raises serotonin, that calming chemical. 
And it also gives seniors, especially those in elder care or low-income housing situations, a sense of purpose, a task to perform, something to take care of. All of these things combined serve to decrease the risk of dementia and the chances of developing Alzheimer's disease. So gardening is good for your physical and your mental health, regardless of your age and can be much more beneficial to children and seniors than a lot of people realize. Of course, it's not possible for everyone, especially in urban areas, to have their own little garden given the amount of space that they have. The great thing is most cities have community gardens and community gardens do so much more than just give you a space to plant your veggies. Many of them provide classes and provide space for community gatherings or cultural events and so, uh, children's activities. Many form cooperatives to donate produce to the needy in the community, and just the same way that gardens in suburban areas can benefit more than just the gardener, community gardens can have positive impacts on the neighbors that live or work around them. Even minimal exposure to natural green spaces like community gardens can improve people's health and well-being, and those exposures can also improve feelings of safety, decrease people's aggression, and reduce crime rates, which is all, of course, very important, especially in urban areas. All of that from a little patch of green. So what about indoor gardeners? If you don't have a patch of ground or a balcony you can garden in and no access to a community garden, what other benefits do you get from growing veggies and other plants indoors? Besides the nutritional component and just having a cool hobby, studies have shown growing plants indoors to be immensely beneficial to the environment within your home. Plants take in carbon dioxide and release oxygen, filtering the air in your living space as they grow, while their roots can take any contaminants in that air and degrade it, rendering them incapable to continue to circulate within your space. Having plants in your home can give you the same mental benefits as outdoor green spaces by reducing stress and anxiety symptoms. And living in closer proximity to your greenery indoors means you get the added bonus of beneficial bacteria provided by your plants. The plants in your space form these little communities and they have their own balanced microbiome. And that microbiome contributes positively to the bigger biome that is your living space. Plants are amazing. And all of these things have been proven not just in theory and through studies, but in practical application. There are disciplines now, things like horticultural therapy, that take these concepts and use them to help people rehabilitate from surgery, improve their health, manage mental illness, or develop socially all through engaging in gardening and plant-based activities. Horticultural therapy techniques help people learn new skills. They can imp help improve memory, cognitive abilities, and language skills. Horticultural therapy is used in physical rehab to strengthen muscles and improve coordination and balance. In vocational horticultural therapy, people learn to work independently and problem solve and follow directions. Horticultural therapists are professionals with specific levels of education and training and credentials. It's a super fascinating field. 
And I will link to the American Horticultural Therapy Association webpage in the show notes if you want to read more about it. Organizations like the Farmer Veteran Coalition, which my husband and I are a part of, uh, the Veteran Farmers Project, Armed to Farm, and so many other nonprofits uh, that recognize the healing power of agriculture and are using farming and gardening as a way to help military members transition out of military service while giving them a new mission of feeding people. It's not how or why we got started in farming, but we've certainly seen the power it has for fellow military members. I will link to an article on foodtank.com that has a list of just a few of the organizations out there helping veterans transition into food service and farming. I hope this episode had given you some insight into why gardening is so good for you, far beyond just the nutritional aspects. As you can tell, it's something I'm passionate about, and I think it's always good to have sources and studies to back things up when someone asks, but why, when I say gardening is good for your health. If you're interested in any of that, the links to the studies and the articles will be in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to send me your questions for our first Can You Dig It episode by sending an email to grow at justgrowsomethingpodcast.com or submitting the contact form from the website at justgrowsomethingpodcast.com or use the link in the show notes to leave a voice message. These are all the places you can send questions and also give me your feedback about this podcast. What do you like? What do you hate? Let me know. Until next time, my happy gardeners, keep thinking of your dream garden, and I will talk to you soon. You just finished another episode of the Just Grow Something podcast. I hope listening to these episodes is helping you understand more about how to grow and preserve your own food, and maybe growing an awareness of food issues in general. Just remember, no matter where you live or what you have, you can absolutely grow something.